0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Jay Harwoods with a special edition of amazing conversation with my friend, Billy Wagner, Billy, right now you're on the precipice of maybe getting to the hall of fame. Before we get into that, I remember at the, uh, at the old timers game a couple of years ago, no one appreciated Mets history, or history of the game, more than you did. How does it feel, you know, maybe in January Hall of Fame, uh, be a history buff, what does it mean to all you as you're getting close to, you know, decision time? Well, I, I tell you, being a history buff
1: and knowing what is possible, I, I, being that history is so much a part of this game. Um, to, be, to be on a stage where you're looking back at, you know, where the greats of all-time greats have been, you know the, the the Tom Seavers, the Nolan Rhines, the uh, uh, the greats. I, I mean, you know, I, it just there's so many names that flash back through my head that have, that I have looked up to, and you know the Robin Roberts uh, that that gave me a little special attention when I was in Philadelphia. The you know uh, it, it's just a it's a special moment to think about, and you know, and, and from a small town kid like myself from Southwest Virginia to think that. You know, you could stand on the stage with Giants and be looked in the, in the same manner. Um, you know, it's very humbling and, and you know, uh, and, and sometimes overwhelming because, you know, uh, no matter what people say, maybe maybe I don't feel like I, you know, stand in that light that they do.
0: But I remember at the old times, you weren't interested in the big guys. You would try to find the 62 meds, the 69 Mets. You were interested in everybody who was at City Field that day. Well, I just love the game.
1: I love the history of it. I love hearing the stories, the old stories. I uh, It feels like to me when, uh, and and I think really the greatest compliment a player can get or I've received is when a guy like uh, Bruce Suter or Goose Gossage or, uh, or one of the older players goes, hey, you could play in our air. I really feel like those are the, the greatest compliments, and I love hearing the stories. I love sitting with them, just hearing uh, the stories of when they played, the guys that they played with, listening to stories about Moose and or listening to the Mickey Mantle stories, or just listening to the Willie Mays when he came over, and just the stories of hearing, you know, how the process of the Mets got started and how, you know, uh you know, just the, the the nature of the game. I mean, I mean, when you watch the films of the old of the old games, just how true and and precious it really was, because you could have a real relationship with uh, uh, fans, and and it was a uh, you know, truly was like the golden age.
0: Billy, how close did you did you follow the process when you first won the ballot? You were ten point five percent. Next year, you were down ten point two. You know, did you? follow closely every year, try not to think about it. Now, you know, 68.1, right at the precipice of it. Well,
1: I, early, early was frustrating because, you know, I really didn't know the process. I, you know, uh, you know, really the best thing that happened was I was probably not doing a lot of interviews because I just didn't know how that went. You know, you when you deal with the, the media, um, it's very fickle. And so knowing that I, that being uh, <laughs> type A and, uh opinionated that that you you just can't go out there and do those things and and there's no reason for my opinion to be heard because my numbers did all this the speaking and so when you look at the 10.5 and the 10.2 you know of course it's frustrating uh but you know looking back through that early process you know being humble and grateful to be on that ballot uh with who i was on there with was you know something I, i really slowed myself down to think about that you know uh to be on that list was Super. But as a process, it's kind of when I, I stop paying attention, my kids pay attention. You know, I, I kind of have an idea when it gets close. Somebody's telling me. But, you know, I, I've really dove into the, the high school scene with the, these kids and tried to really take that and, and, and work out and just take those things off of my plate because it's just things I can't handle anymore. And I, I think now now at this point is probably even harder because, um, you know, 68 percent, you know, the first thing that was told to me is, hey, nobody's ever gotten that that high a percentage has not gotten in. So, you know what, there's always going to be a first, and you know, you're always worried well, about that guy.
0: But your numbers are really incredible. Lifetime, 187, batting average against, 11.9 strikeouts per nine innings, 5.99 hits uh, per nine innings, five you 10 know, 180 pounds, oh, close to over 1100, like 1196 strikeouts, where did all the power come from? Well,
1: I, you know, I've been very blessed. God's blessed me tenfold by just going out and giving me the ability to to compete and and you know, kind of be you know a vessel for Him. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason I should be able to do this. There's no rhyme or reason. Some of the guys who were blessed, uh, the toy cannon, the, and some of these players that were undersized, like Dustin Pedroia, were able to go out and do the things they did. It was just that you know, God given talent. We love to compete and. You know, you always have to play with that chip on your shoulder when you're playing against these giants. And so, you know, uh, when you go out there and you're facing the Mike Piazza of the world, and I mean, and you're five foot ten, I mean, that thing look—he looks like a, a monster. And so, you know, God blessed me with a, a, a great arm and, and the opportunity to go out there and compete. And you know, I've just been blessed ever since.
0: Speaking of arms, if uh, was it wasn't for two football injuries when you were younger, you might have been a righty, Right? You broke—you broke your arm playing football twice. Yeah.
1: Well, the first time I broke it,
0: the second time
1: I fell off monkey bars. But, you know, I mean, I wasn't one to sit around. So, uh, you know, uh, horseplay and roughhousing with anybody bigger that wanted to, to play was just kind of the norm around my house and, and my grandmother's house. So, uh, you know, but I mean, like you said, you know, you know, the, the great story of like uh, Roy Oswald, how he uh, started throwing 90 was he was fixing his car battery and all of a sudden his spark hit him and, and shocked his arm next thing, you know, he's throwing 90. I, I mean, you know, he's from Weir, Mississippi. So I don't know how much you can trust in that, but I know that when you're watching pitch, you're going, well, there, there might be credibility. So we're all blessed and there's all weird ways that we get to where we're at. But I tell you, you know, for me to sit here and say, you know what, if this hard work, you know, a lot of us just got given ability. And, you know, and when you're given that ability to go out there and to, you know, um, uh, just respond and, and, and use it to the best of your ability and you know I was blessed to to, to go out and be successful with it.
0: Billy, I I wanna jog my my memory. I remember you 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 come from a small town of Virginia and you never forgot your roots. Didn't we used to do charities? You always did a, a charity fair every after the year for yeah. the people down in Virginia. You never to forget where you came from. We we did that, right? You and I.
1: Yeah, it was second chance learning. We uh, we we right. take kids and uh, that were kind of slipping through the cracks, and we'd put them into to colleges and th- things like that. And uh, through you know just tutoring and mentoring, and you know we'd hold a concert and stuff like that. And you know I haven't forgotten because you know what I was one of those kids. If I wouldn't have been blessed with the right people being around me and kind of taking a chance on me, I I wouldn't have gotten this opportunity to be sitting here in front of you today or, or play pro baseball. It would have been probably a ditch digger and a grunt. It really would have. And I mean, you know, in all honesty, this is, you know, a way to give back to let people in Southwest Virginia and people know that, you know, putting in the work and, and work ethic is truly something that you can control. And if you take it, if you take that initiative, you
0: can be successful. Please tell me about the, the school. I used to live in middle School, right? I mean, and we do travel ball too. So tell me about the coaching you do.
1: Well, I'll be honest with you, Jay. That's probably the greatest thing I've ever done. I mean, you know, I love, I love coaching, and I've been around a lot of great coaches as far as my high school coach, college coach, uh, professional coaches, and in each way, they've taught me things that you know, I want to be able to instill with the kids of today and, and today with social media and a lot of the, the pressure, you know, going to going to this small uh, school of about 190 kids, uh, private school in, in, in Central uh, Virginia, right outside of UVA, you know, we have an opportunity to, to really um, inspire and show these kids how, how the, the ground roots of the game are. And, and really, for me, it's showing these kids how hard this game is and to appreciate the work ethic and to give them uh, the sense of being a good teammate and and, and loving what they do and, and not considering a job. And it's one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of. I, I just truly enjoy the relationships with the kids. I enjoy, um, you know, the opportunity to go out there and watch kids be successful. And, and the, the kid's success truly is the reward of the coach. It's, you know, when a kid isn't successful, that's when the coach really has those those moments of, of – you know of heartbreak, and and I and I see it now more than more and more and more because these kids want so much, and having somebody that's been there and went through all the steps and understanding how tough this game is to kind of help guide and be be understanding is something that I think God really put me in in uh, this situation for.
0: Billy, don't you help kids get to college too? I remember last time we spoke, of like a college uh, surrogate guidance counselor too. <laughs> to I don't know how I, well. You
1: know, I, you know, I like to be able to call the coaches and, and give them input on these kids. I, you know, I, I make a lot of phone calls and, and, and things like that. Uh, you know, it's difficult more today because of the portals. If you go on the WhatsApp and, uh, and, or the Twitter and, and Facebook and things like that today, I mean, you have to be self-promotional in every way. And, and you know, for and you know me, Jay, I, I mean, I couldn't be any less. So I, I'm not one to to do those things. So it's been, you know, those are things that I've had to learn to, to be understanding more about for these kids because colleges really look at, you know, that, you know, their stats as far, not even their, their batting errors, but their exit velos, their spin rates and all these things so much differently that you got to self-promote. And I mean, it, it's funny why, why we've been doing this, I've gotten three texts sitting here from college coaches going, asking questions about, you know, a spin rate or how, you know, what's the size of this kid. And, you know, it's changed. I mean, you know, if, if I was to play in today's age, I would probably not get drafted. I would not get looked at the same way because of the sizes, the size that uh, people see. And I, I don't know if the coaches are as committed to coaching as they used to be when I was playing, you could commit and, and build a kid. Now, now if that kid's not ready to go and you step on campus, you're, you're not going to be there.
0: Well, well, 422 saves, um, a, a seven All-Star teams did pretty well. Billy, tell me, you, have, you were just in Puerto Rico with your <laughs> daughter, but she's a basketball player and not a baseball player. Well, you know, she could have been a baseball player. She's
1: tough. Uh, she, she played softball, and she was a catcher, so that automatically means she's tough and hard-headed. Yes. So now, my wife is pretty calm during baseball season, but in basketball season, she's, she's, she's intense. I mean, sitting beside her is I'm getting boxed out and blocked and elbowed <laughs> the whole game. And so, you know, and so when she's uh, – and so it's good to be in that role and be supportive for her. And, you know, I, I enjoy watching women's basketball. It's probably one of the greatest things. We watch that probably more than any other sport. We watch our baseball, but we probably watch uh, women's basketball more than any sport uh, we've ever watched.
0: Billy, do the kids in your high school know what's coming up? Do they they know what January could mean to you? I mean, are are they all self-aware? I know you're not going to tell people, but most of the people around you are aware of what could be happening.
1: Well, I think to some extent, you know, and that, you know, it's funny. The hardest thing for me is, you know, it's not like, you know, I have eight coaches that are able to come out and coach. And I mean, I'm there every day. So, my concern is always about the kids. So I really don't, uh, you know, I'm always trying to figure out what happens if, um, you know, I, I don't know and I don't want them to be concerned about the what if for me, because I, I don't go out. I, I want them to be totally focused on what they have to do. I, I don't know if they do. Maybe they do. Uh,
0: uh
1: You know, I don't want that. I don't want that to be a distraction. So um, when I go out there to coach, you know, I'm pretty much, you know, it's about the business of that day. So, uh, but I I don't, I really don't know. I've got parents that know, but the kids, I probably not.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Billy, my time with you, the fourth, we were together when I admired about you. You never backed away from a challenge. You came into a tough market in New York, never always were there, good or bad. And probably the best thing you did, your your, your entrance song was Enter Sandman. It <laughs> was a lot of controversy. That was Marion Rivera's song too. And that's why I'm stood, losing
1: votes in New York right now because I, you, I should, you stood I your ground.
0: You stood your ground. You know, you didn't back off. And every time he came from that bullpen in right field, they played Enter Sandman. And uh, you know now when they had to sing with uh, you know with, with Edward Diaz's song. And you now yeah. like, I could yeah. you know so I could be, could be two two people could have the same song. But, I mean, you got, you know, two, the first two years we were there, we were right on the verge of things. You know, I'll never forget, uh, you know, uh, uh, the home run in the ninth inning, the Cardinals when we mm-hmm. lost. And, you know, well, once Andy made the catch in the sixth inning, Andy Chavez became seven, I would have bet my meager life savings that we would have gotten to the World Series that year in 06.
1: Well, I tell you, you know, I would have too. I, I tell you, I – you know, to this day, and, you know, I think we did something a while back, uh, uh and, you know, I was talking to Willie and guys like that. I, I tell you, there, there's moments, you know, every career, everybody looks back because I wouldn't change a thing, but I tell you, if there was a, if there was one moment in time, I, I, I would love to have, you know, changed, you know, that, that game, that game, that moment, been out on the mound, you know, uh, comp- you know, win, lose, or draw, those, those are things that probably haunt an athlete more than anything, uh, in that situation. I mean, the sotaguchi home run off of me. Uh, I mean, there are so many things that, you know, Sotaguchi hadn't gotten a hit off of me and then all of a sudden he gets a home run. I, I mean, you know, the, there are so many things that go through that, that of not playing well or just, you know, not well enough. Uh, and so, you know, that year was just one of the, the greatest and most exciting years to, to, to ever be a man for me. And, you know, to see it come down to that—that that was so heartbreaking. I mean, I think about it. I mean, I've—you know—I see it in my sleep at times. Where you know, man, if I could, if I'd have done something different, you know, those are, those are the the, the great disappointments in in a career.
0: We we won ninety seven games that year, you know, and so we talk about the ball. You know, a newcomer to the ballot this year is David Wright, a former teammate. What did you think if he had gotten hurt? I mean, what, what, do you, what were your thoughts on David Wright? To me, he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory.
1: Well, I think I think you're absolutely right, Jay. I think David was that special person that knew how to play the game, handled the media, handled it himself, handled the outside life with with New York. I mean, he was the, the Derrick Jeter for us. And I mean, he, he was our captain. He was the guy who, you know, at 23, 24 years old, he's standing in the limelight taking Answering the tough questions, and I mean, you know, I know that not many of us would have been that were there were able to to handle that pressure. His the way he came in and competed daily, how he com- competed and held high standards for himself. I mean, there's no doubt. I think David is a Hall of Famer. I think that you know, unfortunately, and the thing that I admire about him is he didn't cheat his way to get there. You know, he didn't try to go around it. You know, and I respect that about Dave. I, I tell you, you know, those are the things that make me appreciate Dave more because he was a true baseball gritty superstar that probably he is a hall of famer. He, he may not get in but it's not because he doesn't deserve to be in there. And you know, we all know that being a hall of famer is not just your numbers. It's really what, what you brought to that air. And, and I mean, if numbers were truly what we were working, worrying about, there's a lot of things not wouldn't be the same. So they Wright's to a, a hall of famer, whether he gets uh, I, in or he doesn't.
0: I agree hundred percent. Are you in nervous, Nelly? What do you think you would be doing on January 23rd, which is late in the day?
1: You know what? I don't know. Hopefully, I'll be busy. I know last year they called me when they thought there was a possibility. And, and, you know, uh, they were like, hey, you need to stay at home so we can call you. And I just told – I remember telling them, I said, I'm just probably not going to do that. I'm I'm not going to sit there and be nervous and then not get a phone call. And then then it's heartbreaking. I don't think people realize. I mean, this is a moment that every – Pro athlete, you know, this is like the greatest thing a pro athlete can end his career on as being a hall of famer. It's, and to be so close and, and to have so many things that, I mean, I don't think people realize there's nothing else you can do as a, an athlete. Now my stats are there. All I can do is just be politically correct and, and listen to, to all these things. And it is so hard to hear all the negative things. So you have to really distance yourself. So. I, I am not I don't handle that well, so I really distance myself well. You know well, Jay uh Jay, I'm I'm I mean, I'm my my emotions are on my sleeve. I, I just uh and so I you know, you would think at fifty-two years old I'd gotten better, but the way I've gotten better is <laughs> Well don't change, don't Billy. Pay
0: attention. <laughs> let, let me put it in. So in the Hall of Fame you're two hundred and twenty-four players, three hundred and forty-two total people executives, managers. But only eight relief pitchers. If you want to count Schmaltz, there's nine. So I mean, it's out of the out of the 224 players, there's only um, nine, eight, nine relief pitchers. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, I, I think there's not a value to them until you need them, right? It's I mean, who needs a Mariano Rivera until you don't have Mariano or Trevor or John Franco or. Or Bruce Sutter, or Raleigh Fingers, or Goose Gossage, who, who needs those guys until you need those guys, right? And so everybody can do it, but can they do it for longevity? Can they keep running out there? And I, I mean, closers don't have the luxury of a fall net. You know, you're going to have your bad days, but you don't have the luxury of having the fall net. You don't. Have, and when you put up numbers, a consistent number of a batting average against, or uh, strikeouts per nine innings, or whatever you want to value guys. On dominance is dominance and if in errors that you're you're looking for I, I, it's very difficult to uh, explain why these guys you know don't fall I, I mean how do you say that a kenley jensen is not a hall of famer i mean the guy is tremendous how do you how do you say that a, a crick kimbrell is not a hall of famer i mean there's so many guys but I, I i mean and i understand it's a tough process but when you talk about dominance if you're really going to talk about dominance the numbers have to be what they are. You can't get away from – and I guess I I keep getting back to – everybody says my 900 innings is the fallback. Oh, I can't – we can't put a guy in there with only 900. But everything else is better than some of the guys that are actually in the Hall of Fame. No so question. So how do you – how do you – how do you say that that's justifiable if my numbers are better – at 900 innings, and a guy who's got 1,100 innings. I mean, that those are the things. I mean, when you talk about dominance, that's the thing that you it, it comes back to. And and you know as well as I do, Jay, it, this is a political game. It's not a it's not a, a true game of numbers. I mean, Johnny Franco and guys like that. A um, guy like uh, Dale Murphy and guys like that. There's so many guys that are are outliers that have those numbers that you know weren't weren't able to to get in. But I tell you, I, you know, I don't know what the game would be like without a Johnny Franco or a Dale Murphy or, you know, guys like that that were dominant in their air and, and held held a, a high position. But, you know, once again, you know, you're at the mercy of people. I don't know. I, I don't even know if they've seen me. I, you know, I don't know if it's you know, word of mouth that, that they go by and, and you know, so yeah, it's, it's difficult, so that's why I kind of try to stay outside
0: of it. Well, listen, your Mets family here is pulled for you, my friend. And hopefully on January twenty you'll have great news. And uh, I appreciate the time today, Billy.
1: Jay, I always appreciate seeing you. Take care, buddy. Thanks again.